0: And thanks to Crime Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, co-conspirator, all-around good beer guy and great beer presenter, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, everybody. I hope I'm sounding well still. Oh, mate, you are your dulcetivity, as we discussed last week is fantastic. In Might fact, the last podcast, i twenty percent more. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Uh, and, uh, and listening to the last podcast, we recorded the interview when you were on your old microphone and the uh, the intro when you're on the new microphone and the sound. I, I think it's well above twenty. We're talking of a quantum uh, dulcetivity that'll go down
1: in history as our um, as our crossover. Uh, episode of Radio Bridge News, because it, it was
0: old morphing into into a new. And it was also with our uh, producer, Lockie Mc, McIntosh, who uh, did a great job. Got he did a pretty fair done. effort. He did. He, so, he, has, uh, he has made us
1: sound a lot better. Almost professional. It, almost professional. Like as professional as, as he can
0: do with, with the tribe that we serve <laughs> up to him. Give him time. He's he's giving us notes after each episode now, so uh, we, we, we've got our homework to do. But anyway. He's the um, ultimate sales seamstress. One of the notes he has uh, already passed is when you've made a point, leave move it on. be and move on. Yes, yeah, so what
1: was that, mate, really, uh, was that, was that um, addressed, or is it just was that just general? <laughs> moving
0: on, um, pot kettle um, <laughs> springs to mind. But anyway, yes, moving on, mate. Uh, one of the things with uh, coming out with an episode a, a week will be that we won't have as much to uh, rant on about in in between um, times. Um, but last Saturday night. Um, We're recording this on Monday, it'll go to air um, this Friday, Uh, but last Saturday, um, so Saturday a week ago for those who are listening to it fresh, um, Bruce Vegas launched with a great party at um, Wandering Cooks in Brisbane. It was a real gathering of the Brisbane Beer Tribes, very, very exciting. Came after a torrential um, Queensland downpour, something that I haven't seen for quite a while, just the uh, great rain, but the people were there um, wet, bedraggled, but in very, very good spirits. Um, so really exciting to see. By the time uh, this comes out, Bruce Vegas will be all but a distant memory. Um, so we'll probably report more fully on the uh, on the coverage afterwards. But no, very good start to Bruce Vegas. Made in other news, uh, just uh, jumping straight up on the soapbox. I don't know. Did you see there was a tweet that came out over the weekend? Uh, you know, the, the good people at Stella have gotten all altruistic.
1: Oh, okay. We might, for some people, some of our listeners, we might need to put that in the show notes with a, a dictionary definition.
0: What, what do you mean, mean altruistic? Altruistic. They, they've they, they've opened their wallet. They want to give away, uh, you know, one point two million US dollars um, because in parts of the world, people are find it very hard to get water. Um, and uh, according to Stella, um, 750 million people around the world live without access to clean water. This crisis disproportionately affects women, who can walk 200 million hours a day collecting water for their families. 200 million hours a day. Well, if you added all of the people who are maybe walking an hour or two. Uh, so it.
1: it's not one. Uh, yeah, it
0: was, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just it was it sounded. I'm thinking, geez, somebody's working hard. Not making. But that's light between them all. At all. Yeah, absolutely. Not making light at all um, of. Uh, what the the background of the campaign is? It's a very very uh, you know important issue um, for the world to confront. Um, Stella Artois' particular way of dealing with it is if you buy a heavily branded uh, chalice, um, something that you know. And there's a photo on the website. We might even uh, copy that and post it to, in, in the show notes. There is a. Engraved, gold-bedecked, very ornate, uh, heavily branded Stella Artois chalice. And if you buy one chalice, uh, they will donate five um, years of clean water. Um, now, none of the people who will be benefiting from that water will drink it from the glass, no doubt, but uh, us in the, the first world can buy the, 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 the glass and Stella will then do the good thing. And they've also followed it up with a campaign where if you retweet their tweet saying how good they are, they will donate one year of uh, water um, to the campaign. Now. Again, it's one of those situations, Prof, I always feel like um, I've got a gun up my head. I feel a little bit like when you, you know, um, what's the the term for when you turn up at the traffic lights and you get, um, it's not mugged, but it's charity mugged um, at the traffic lights and you're almost shamed into donating at the traffic lights. You know, it, it's a fantastic cause um, and it's very easy to retweet. But ultimately, none of this has anything to do, oh, sorry, this has more to do with Stella getting its name out there than it does for any campaign. Um, and you, you, you've written about similar campaigns. Uh, VB's got its Razor Glass campaign where a dollar of every carton of VB that's bought around Anzac Day gets donated to, to veterans. Another fantastic cause, one that you do not need any incentive to um, you know, donate to. Participate in, yep. Um, And, and, you know, a dollar should be the very minimum you're giving, you know, give till it hurts um, sort of campaign. Um, But, you know, I've always taken the view that VB has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, filming, scripting, you know, uh, and and they're beautifully shot um, and uh, they buy airtime for it. And you sort of think, well, would that those millions be better spent given directly to the campaign and then? you know, find out you know, more effective ways to, you know, in cheaper ways to tell people how generous you are than spending the millions on on, on the self-promotion to raise a much smaller amount for the actual uh, campaign. Is
1: it just that if people think, well, you know, I donate to things anyway, but it would be nice to be able to kind of donate and have a beer at the same time?
0: I don't know. Is this what they call slacktivism, slacktivism you know, where all it takes is a retweet and you've I've
1: done something good. I've changed the
0: world. Yeah. and But the, the, the problem here, particularly with the stellar one, for my mind, and, you know, good, good on them for getting involved and getting behind a very worthy cause. But the whole thing is presented around getting the stellar name out there, the, the name is out there. And, you know, the, the, the highly cynical part of me wonders whether, well, the, you know, the, the, the countries that are going to really benefit from this, um, uh, places like India and Africa, Um which if you've you've been reading about the beer business recently, are also what the multinational brewing companies, the the two continents that the multinational brewing companies see as the emerging beer drinking markets. So India with a rising middle class. um, Beer is uh, the the, the product that a lot of them are turning to. Um, So is, is this campaign primarily about the good that it does or is it about creating brand awareness in a country that Stella is hoping to flog beer to um, you know very very quickly and you know the, the the campaign is also called buy a lady a drink getting women to drink beer is another uh, you know white whale for for the brewers um, you know it, it looks to me like they're really trying to kill a couple of marketing birds with one stone Create brand awareness and you know a, a feel good effect in Africa and India much more and and with uh, amongst women much more than solve a, a a world issue particularly when in the scheme of things one point two million dollars for Stella Artois they would drop that on their PR you know on a PR a month I'd imagine
1: yeah and look I don't know a lot about advertising but the lady featured in the ad she does not look too impressed. Maybe, maybe he's he's holding up a glass of water in a Stella, and maybe
0: she's going. Oh, I was hoping for some Stella. Oh, I, I, <laughs> so, I was I was going to make a comment. Was it is it a glass of water that he's holding, or is it a glass of Stella? But you know, <laughs> don't know. Any, anyway, but yeah, look, I think rant over. It's one of those things, you know. Stella, just give the money, and then if people feel positively about it, you will reap those rewards. Well, people don't, like
1: people like us will tell people like you that are listening that. People like Stella donated a large amount of money with no expectation of anything in return.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, But you know, I I, I, I don't know. There there seems to have been a lot of umbrage cast uh, around the world at how cynical it is. But you know, I I sent out a tweet, and it's very hard. It's one of those things you don't want to give them airspace. It's like, but this is a case where you know uh you, you almost need to highlight just how bad it is so you yeah. know anyway um my we shall i shall see we'll see we'll with, see what happens in the wash up well i hashtagged it with uh donate don't retweet and uh, lives not brands because to me this seems to be more about brands and about saving lives but anyway that's just me soapbox over prof done lucky how was that did we keep that rant nice and short Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, Nothing else to say. Um, We've got two interviews today. One is an interview that, uh, a a nice short little interview um, with Brendan Varus, who is on the board of the Craft Beer Industry Association. The Craft Beer Industry Association has just announced its program for the 2015 Craft Beer Conference. Um, And Brendan's, uh, we're going to have a chat to him about um, what that is. It's a A little bit different from last year, they've taken on some feedback. Prof, maybe you can tell us a bit about the changes that they've made.
1: Yeah, um, some of the feedback last year was that uh, while the information given, particularly in the the seminars, was was really terrific, um, it almost needed to be divided into uh, industry in terms of technical and industry in terms of, uh, if you like, consumer, retail, sales, marketing, that sort of thing. So there'll be two separate um, streams running concurrently. So the brewers can pop off to room A, where they'll be uh, learning about water chemistry or yeast or (coughs) malt or whatever it might be, and then in room B will be a more, uh, I guess, uh, consumer-focused in terms of you know like the art of selling craft and uh, you know marketing your your beers and 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 your business uh, retail tips and tricks and and that sort of thing uh, more that kind of focus. So. The brewers can be in one room while the sales reps and perhaps you know the bar staff or whatever it might be um, can come along to the other.
2: Well,
0: that's a very nice summary. Thank you very much. So I'm not sure we need to get Brendan Varis on now, but oh, I'm, he'll, I'm sure... he'll say
1: it much better than me. <laughs> no, he'll
0: he'll, he'll uh, say it in other ways and also just some of the other things that the uh, to it. CBA, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll have a chat to, to Brendan. And after that, we're speaking to Cam Pearce, who's the marketing director for Coopers. Welcome to the show, Brendan Varis. There's been a uh, an- another big week for one of your beers.
2: Yeah, another another big week. we what are we? Critics' Choice this week, and again, fortunate enough to get ticked off in the number one spot by the critics around the country, and that always makes the guys around the brewery puff their chest out a little bit and walk a little bit taller. So yeah, good.
0: Man, it's lucky you don't get a trophy for all of these things. It's just the uh, you know the. the prestige and the reputation that comes with it, you'd be needing to build a bigger brewery to fit the trophies.
2: <laughs> Not the trophies, we need a bigger brewery to make more beer, Kirk. Okay? Yeah.
0: But uh, we, we uh, had a chat to you on Australia Day for the Hottest 100, but we uh, today we're talking about uh, you in your capacity as part of the Craft Beer Industry Association um, and talking about the Craft Brewers Conference for 2015 that's coming up in May.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um... In the middle, in the midst of everything else that's happening in Melbourne uh, during Good Beer Week, the Craft Beer Industry Association is running our annual conference. And um, yeah, it'd be good to have a little talk about that and what's involved and who's talking and what, why we're doing it.
0: Well, I guess uh, tell us a little bit. Everyone knows the Craft Beer Industry Association, Australia's a craft brewing industry uh, body. Um, last year you had your first uh, Craft Brewers Conference and you had a great panel of uh, speakers. Um, Phil Sexton's uh, speech was one of the best I've heard for a long time when he was talking about the origins of craft and what it means. Tell us a little bit about the panel that you've got lined up and the special guests that you've got this year.
2: Yeah well again uh, Phil Sexton keynoting last year was was fantastic. One of the real pioneers of craft brewing getting up there and, and telling us about uh, his story and, and and his craft beer journey. And this year we've got Steve Hindi from the Brooklyn Brewery. Now, Steve, I guess, is very much a, a pioneer of the, the US craft beer industry. Bro- Brooklyn, I think, is in the the top 10 biggest, one of the top 10 biggest craft breweries in, in the US, maybe top 15. Certainly a well-established brewery. Um, and, and I've heard Steve speak before. He's a fantastic speaker, and um, he will... Really have everyone on the edge of their seat when he when he's talking about craft beer. He's been doing it a long time, but his passion really comes out when when he talks about it. so um and he's
0: he's got a book um I've read his book beer School, um that talks about the formative years for Brooklyn brewery and how that came about, and you know all of the things that they learned, um being not just a pioneering brewery but in you know, a pioneering market and uh, all of the various models they tried and you know, he certainly, for anyone that's got an interest in building or owning a brewery, he can teach a lot um, and you can learn a lot from his mistakes and his uh, successes.
2: Yeah, absolutely and, and we look forward to a, a bit of that being shared with us during his, during his keynote and it's really relevant to where we are here in Australia now, where, whereby we're still, I think, fairly embryonic um, as an industry, um, the embryonic stages. And and so Steve sharing some of his early experiences is, is going to be invaluable to everyone in the room.
0: But it's not just despite its name, the Craft Brewers Conference, this year the CBAA taking its mission to uh re, you know for education, um across the industry you've also got a, a program that's you know really relevant not just to the people who are making the beer but the people who are uh, charged with selling it for the brewery the people who are charged with uh, buying and retailing it
2: yeah and it's it's, it's really important it's, it's all very well and good for us to to run a to run to run the main conference which helps us make beer better and, and market what we do better um, which is broadly the two streams one one being um, technical and the other one being more a uh, business running side of the main conference. Separately we've got a one day symposium which is uh, pitched out the hospitality industry um, Craft beer has come a long way really really quickly and, and it, it's important that that we share what we do with the people who are at the coalface and, and selling our beer to the final consumer um, When things move quickly sometimes the knowledge doesn't keep up with the with a hype um, and we want to make sure the craft beer is not hyped but the the knowledge is there and the people that are that are um, you know buying and buying our beer and presenting it to the public do have good knowledge. it's about it's about skilling them up, letting them curate a list make sure it's balanced make sure it's proper, it's um, correct for their venue because uh, the last thing we want is is people buying craft beer and it doesn't really it's the wrong beer for the wrong situation and, and it sits there and doesn't sell so that's, that's not good for any craft brewer. Um, so, so really, to to skill skill up um, the hospitality people with some good information about what we do and why we do it um, is the aim of that conference. Where that Sounds very
0: important um, because you know there's a lot of focus on brew house management and making good beer, um, and and that's a very important issue. But getting the beer to market and you know selling it and uh, you know venues ensuring that the beer is turning over once it's on tap how to look after it on tap how to sell it how to encourage people to come into your venue and buy the beers to keep them turning over they're all very important parts of the craft beer chain aren't they
2: yeah it's crucial because um and and a term that term that i've heard you use before um you know craft beer is a broad church not every craft beer suits every beer tap or every venue so um giving the hospitality industry, the knowledge to work out what the right ones are for what situation is is very very important, and also just to let them give them a little bit of flavour training. You know, do we do we really like bitter beers, or is it, or, or is that not the right one? Is This beer perhaps a little tired, and, and maybe the brewer would prefer that I go and yell and and um, and organise uh, a replacement because it's probably not as good as it could be. Those type of things are, are all really relevant because bad. Bad beer um, in the industry is bad for everybody.
0: And giving staff, you know, (laughs) there's this real debate at the moment about whether craft beer is becoming a little bit too fussy and stuffy, but with beers on tap um, that are very different to the lagers that traditionally uh, were were on tap in most hotels, and you you, you walk into a pub and uh, I commonly, you know, sort of pretend that I'm, uh, you know, that the... knowledgeless consumer which I may or may not be and you know just ask the, the guy behind the tap oh look you know that stone and wood tell me a little bit about that and so, oh mate it's a big beer and sort of think well maybe that's not the best language that's going to scare a lot of people off and stone and wood is a you know an example of a very approachable craft beer style and if you've got your sales reps telling you oh that's a big beer or it's sweet or it's fruity that might be putting a lot of people off and even just giving your Bar staff, you're learning as a venue owner, or having your bar staff learn how to describe beers better, um, is going to really help with the pull through on taps.
2: It's exactly exactly right. The terminology um, and just the ability to accurately describe. And so, Chuck Chuck Hahn's leading a session on that, and a little sensory session in the in the hospitality or the the um, beer sellers symposium. Um, and you know Chuck's been doing this a long time, and he's got the right terminology, and he'll hopefully make sure everyone walks. Walked out of there being able to describe beer a bit better than when they walked in
0: Luke Nicholas uh, posted something recently talking about um, venues curating a beer list and not just putting on every uh, crazy thing and obviously he's a fellow with some beer to sell himself but did, you know did, did he make some good points about you know venues need to have an appreciation of you know maybe what is good beer um, so they are ordering and curating their menu and uh, putting good beer in front of the the punter
2: yeah, um, it, it, absolutely, and, and how to curate a beer list is, is, it, is I think, one of the topics within the um, symposium, maybe under a slightly different name, uh, but, but it's very important, and also understanding that craft beer is a product that doesn't have an infinite life, so don't just buy this special beer because it's here now, and even though I don't have a space to sell it, I'll sell it in six months' time, because there's every chance it's not it's not going to be the beer that you bought in six months' time. Don't um, you just
0: reel it out as a barrel-aged beer then? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> uh, some may do that. Um, <laughs> that is probably not the right thing to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the the totality of, of curating a list, which, in, which includes understanding that some beers do need to be drunk fresh, not all, um, and so don't buy them for storing. Um, really, the... An overall understanding of of what craft beer is, what what you're offering is, why you're offering it, who your customer is, which ones they want is is what we want to get across Um, because not every beer is for everybody.
0: And I know that these are topics that are very close to your heart personally. You know, you sell beer across to the east coast of Australia, but you refrigerate it. You make sure that it's refrigerated. You've looked very long and hard at your distribution chains, and you've been around long enough that you, I guess, you've made some mistakes yourself. Is it the benefit of the wisdom of people such as yourself and Chuck Hahn that you know newer brewers and even more established brewers can come along and learn from through these seminars?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's the whole intention of the getting back, probably more to the main the main conference rooms now. I mean, we've been plugging away for a while um, over here at Ferrell and for a long time it was it was a pilgrimage up to the US to their CBC for me to be able to um, get a bit of information back in the early days. Now, with an industry as 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 there are you know some more mature breweries in it, um, to be able to share that with each other and to help each other improve what we do and the quality of our beer and the way we get it to market. Um, it's you know, really you know, the, the classic kind of altruistic part of the industry that we talk about. We say it's a great industry full of great blokes and um, we don't compete with each other. Um, and this is really an uh, opportunity for us to prove that by, by sharing what we do and helping each other out during this conference.
0: And uh, you know, refrigerating your beer in market is a... Is, uh... Um, great thing! I hear you've been doing some experiments in uh, freezing your beer to get it to market.
2: That was no experiment. So <laughs> some, 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 sometimes little mistakes happen. We did, we did have a pallet of, um, we did have a pallet of beer turn up there to Queensland that was frozen solid. And um, the hard part of that is we, we also, apart from freezing, we also run on really um, tight. Uh, stock levels as well. Um, there's one thing keeping it cold, but there's no point having six months worth of beer in stock. So when you when you lose a lose a shipment to Queensland, where we don't have a lot of stock on hand, it means means Queensland without a, without beer for a, for a week or so while we replaced it.
0: Just bef- before uh, Bruce Vegas Bruce as Vegas. well. Yeah, little, uh... <laughs> <terrible time. laughs> Mind you, uh, there could have been beer lollipops.
2: Yeah, we well, should have a should have a keg of tusk arriving in a couple of days' of time somewhere in Queensland. Very
0: exciting. Well, Brendan, uh, um, we might leave it at that for today. Keen to talk to you uh, some more about some of the uh, plans you've got for Feral very soon. So we'll get you back on the show. Um, People can go to australiancraftbeer.org.au and they'll see on the front page there a link to the Australian Craft Brewers Conference 2015. Also, if you're reading this on Australian Brewers News, there is a masthead ad um, or there'll be ads on site taking you to the uh, Craft Brewers Conference where you can buy tickets or go to... uh, good beer week uh website and for melbourne you can buy tickets through there brendan Varus, thank you very much for joining us on radio brews news again all the best for the conference and uh congratulations once again for all of the success you've had so far this year for feral
2: thanks koko always good to talk to you mate
0: okay prof that was brendan Varus. um he's a man who needs no real introduction um great to hear and uh, yeah look can, the, we, can we just CBAA. also
1: point out the Critics' Choice uh, Edition number 5 ebook this year uh, for the fourth year running Hop Hog number one. Number one,
0: yes. So number one uh, hottest uh, one hundred hottest, hottest one hundred uh, and, and number Critics one. Choice. So can 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 we just get on with it and say it's Australia's best beer? Oh, that's that's very subjective, but yes. Sam the uh, took over as the marketing director for uh, Coopers when Glenn Cooper, um, one of the fifth generation Coopers, uh, resigned last year. It's great to speak to someone who's come from outside the company, but really um, holds very strongly um, to the, the Coopers ethics. So he's one of those guys, and it's one of those breweries that if you're interested in wondering how this craft beer movement is going to survive and how it's going to go moving forward. Watching Coopers is a really good way to understand the uh, evolution of the market. So, uh, yeah, this is an old interview that I recorded uh, sometime last year, uh, towards the end of last year, with Cam Pearce. Now, Cam, I've been writing about Coopers for a long time now, and I've managed to speak to most of the Coopers family, but this is the first time that we've met. Uh, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. You've... uh got a very extensive uh, business and marketing history outside of the Coopers Brewery. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your experience.
3: Yeah, sure, Matt. Look, I think, uh, I mean, my sort of connection with the uh, brewing business uh, started at a very young age because my um, father and my father-in-law Maxwell Cooper uh, both uh, did their training at Adelaide University in chemistry. So uh, Dad went into South Australian Brewing Company uh, as head brewer, and Maxwell obviously went into Coopers. So uh, my uh, uni days were, the uh, holidays were spent at South Australian Brewing Company, um, picking uh, loads uh, for dispatch. Um, and uh, was there the, any conflict between the two of you? Well, well, look, in those early days, it was uh, you know I was in my twenties and what have you. So the families had a long connection. know, um, yeah, my. Uh, my grandfather made biscuits, men's biscuits, and he and uh, my wife's grandfather uh, Ray um, would have a beer after work periodically. So there's been a family connection um, um, going back a while. So it was probably um, not un- not unusual that I ended up uh, marrying Robin. So, um, but really, I didn't get directly involved in Coopers uh, until Maxwell retired from the board. So I took over his uh, position on the board, and uh, prior to that, I actually started my career in sales and marketing with um, Shell Company of Australia. So I I did uh, um, sales roles in um, Adelaide, uh, Melbourne, and also um, had a stint up in uh, Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea, which was both um, uh, retail uh, service station and uh, um, commercial. Um, marketing. So, uh, and then came back to Adelaide, and then I had uh, 10 years at uh, CEO at uh, Meals on Wheels in South Australia, which is a, a non-profit um, organisation that uh, provided uh, meals and uh, contact for primarily older people that were uh, at home to help them stay at home.
0: And uh, so you were on the board, and then when Glenn...
3: Uh, so so I, was, I, I went on the board in uh, 2002, and then uh, when I... Um, uh, left mills on wheels, I went full-time at Cooper's um, that was about four years ago and started off in business development um, and then uh, Glenn took over looking after premium beverages and I looked after uh, um, SAMT sales and Cooper's marketing and then following uh, Glenn's uh, retirement in um, July this year I now look after sales and marketing for uh, both Cooper's and our subsidiary company Premium Beverages that distributes our products outside SAMT so it's been a bit of a whirlwind um, Uh, uh, a tour since I uh, started full time but one that's been absolutely enjoyable and uh, uh, because I've had such a long association with the family uh, it's a a great joy and privilege to be uh, part of the day to day
0: And you joined the board at a very uh, interesting time in in the Coopers history they only started premium beverages in 2002 around the time you joined? That's right. Very soon after there was the takeover battle with Lyme, you've seen uh, record growth uh, for the Coopers uh, brewery itself, um, this year surpassing 80 million litres, yeah. um, or forecast to surpass 80 million litres. Um, how, how was it uh, through, the, through the early 2000s? Uh,
3: Look, I think, as you said, the uh, the company's been enjoying um, a tremendous growth through, through a lot of hard work, obviously, but uh, I think we've had just under 10% compound annual growth for the last uh, 21 years so that's a great credit to everybody involved and certainly that's accelerated um, since um, premium beverages came on the scene. We've had uh, significant growth uh, outside uh, SANT as uh, people have started to come to appreciate uh, especially our uh, ales, people's original pale ale and our sparkling ale. mild and dark ale as well so uh, we've had great growth through there and indeed we're still growing Um, we're putting on more staff um, in premium beverages to help meet demand so there's still a lot of organic uh, growth uh, available to us I think uh, especially uh, in the eastern states and also we're getting growth out of Western Australia so so that's a good story and, um, and that's also been reflected in our uh, capital investment so uh, uh, since moving to uh, Regency Park in Adelaide from our uh, uh, small Leebrook brewery we had been there for some 80 or so uh, years or more than that um, you know we've been putting in more fermenting um, vessels uh, we've increased the uh, um, the brew house uh, with a, uh, an additional mash tonne, uh, and uh, there's been uh, further growth and development in the bottling line. So, we've uh, put in a second bottling line in December last year and associated uh, developments of the lager cellar, um, and that was another $20 million. Uh, so, since moving to Regency in 2001, uh, uh, we've really had uh, almost $160 million, I think it is, of uh, investment there to sort of help uh, meet that growth demand. So it's really been a very exciting uh, journey. Uh, as you said, there's, there's one sort of uh, aberrant aspect was the Line takeover or Lion Nathan uh, hostile takeover in 2005. Um, but look, I think that the, the really the most important point to make about that whole episode is that uh, when it came down to the wire and we were able to have the uh, extraordinary general meeting to actually for shareholders rather than, uh, you know, for, for, the, for the owners of the company to uh, have their position heard. You know, some 94% of shareholders voted to take Line Nathan off our constitution, which effectively um, stopped the, uh, the, the takeover process. So I think um, it was a obviously a very tense time, and I was a non-executive director at that time, so uh, you know, Tim and Glenn and the like were taking the brunt of it. Um, And supported by Melanie, so uh, I think um, you know it's uh, good to have that behind us. Um, And um, uh, the uh, company continues to grow, indeed the share price has superseded that which uh, uh, Line offered, so it's a a, a satisfying thing. And and all going well, we'll, uh, you know, if we sort of stick to uh, uh, staying focused and uh, focusing on quality and service um, and the like, we'll continue to. uh, enjoy success and growth. Well, talking uh, success and growth. Back in two thousand and six, at the height of the takeover, the shares
0: were valued at uh, around about three hundred and eighteen dollars. Um, what uh, does your internal uh, valuing, uh, valuing put them at now? Uh, uh,
3: uh, the last one was three fifty seven, I think. Three fifty seven. Yeah. So it um, still continues yeah. to So, uh, uh, but uh, so we, there's the um, uh, we do the valuation twice a year for a, um, dividend reinvestment. So, uh, so yeah, so that's we've we've had. Um, We've had growth in the share price, which has been a good thing.
0: Um,
3: I hear lots of different figures
0: about the the size of the craft beer market, um, what position uh, Coopers occupies in it. What's your own, uh, what, what, what do your figures put the share
3: of the Australian beer market for Coopers? Well, look. I think the, the, the uh, it, it's getting close to five percent. I think that it, it varies depending on different sources. But when you look at all the different figures that come through, we're getting close to five percent of the total beer market, which I think is about one point six, one point six five billion liters. Um, and uh, the craft market, uh, which is the fastest growing segment of uh, the beer market, uh, is put variously between you know um, four and six percent. Um, and then and, uh, and the premium Australian beer market, which really has been the segment um, that has also been in growth over the last um, not many years, uh, and where Coopers clearly sits in that premium segment, we've been uh, growing with that segment. Um, so and, and as I said, now we're seeing um, craft beer, um, you know, almost explode really. Uh, and I think you know clearly, um, Coopers uh, fits in well within that craft segment. I mean, I think it would be fair to say that we're not just a craft brewer; we're more than craft. But clearly, we've got um, tremendous craft credentials um, with our, with like to our range. Yes, right. I, like,
0: I, 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 I always like to well, I always like to balance figures like that. You know, so Coopers' offer uh, uh, occupies four and a half to five percent, and I think Corona itself, which isn't even yes. available on tap, is about 4.5%. That's right, I yes. to uh, give that a bit of perspective. But it's interesting to hear you say that um, it's, it's always very hard to uh, pigeonhole coopers uh, for a long time before there was a craft segment, and the craft segment in Australia really only uh, has originated since probably Little Creatures in 1999-2000. Before then, there was premium or mainstream Um, and Coopers was always clearly a premium Mm. but do you see Coopers as being a craft brewery or a premium brewery or is it does it really matter to Coopers at all where it sits?
3: Well, I suppose if you look at something like uh, sparkling ale, uh, which we've had going for 152 years, you could argue that that's very much the granddaddy of craft beer. I, I think, you know, as I said, we're we're not a. I mean, we're not like a um, sort of a, a small micro brewery, craft brewery that makes their own products and and sort of has a local distribution, which is yeah, again a great a great thing in uh, our beer landscape. Um, and, and clearly, we've got large production facilities that. Uh, um, enable us to be very very consistent and make uh, you know high quality products so uh, and clearly you know when when one talks about craft uh, it does mean so many different things to different people it's not a nice homogeneous um, category you've got sort of um, premium craft um, uh, with people like us where we've got our Thomas Cooper selection where we've got uh, Celebration Ale and more recently we released Artisan Reserve. Uh, and, um, and, um, Pasteurised lager beer uh, in that section. Um, uh, You've got the big boys with their um, uh, craft offerings, uh, and you've got some international stuff that comes through, and you've got very local brewers making um, uh, uh, almost uh, single batch offerings as well. So it's quite a diverse area within that um, craft segment. Um, And I think by and large that's a good thing because it creates um, interest uh, and uh, excitement around beer Um, and especially from our point of view it uh, introduces people to um, uh, the ale styles which we obviously specialise in, I mean 90% of uh, beer um, globally I think is lagers and I mean be less than that in places like United Kingdom but uh, certainly in Australia that's the case. So I think um, you know there's a great opportunity with the interesting craft for people to engage with um, our product offering, especially on the ales. I mean, having said that, we've also got a very good you know, lager range as well, and we've been uh, making lagers for a number of years, and um, and more recently, through Premium Beverages, that's, uh, that uh, lager offering has been um, supported by our partner brands like um, Socorro, uh, Carlsberg and Cronenberg. Uh, so, uh, and uh, mythos, for that matter, as well. So, we've got a, you know, probably the most um, diverse and um, complementary portfolio we've had in our company's history, uh, and uh, it enables us to compete in, in all the segments really.
0: It's interesting to hear you describe. There, there are so many questions I'd like to of come yeah. out of that little uh, um, exchange, but um, it's interesting to hear you talk about the most diverse um, portfolio that uh, Cooper's has ever had because. It was back in the 70s, I think, when uh, Coopers installed its, it had its first experiment with lager mm. um, production and uh, invested a lot of money and uh, didn't quite come off in those days. And it, it was that expenditure that very really nearly uh, that very nearly broke the company um, back then. Um, it's back much stronger these days. Um, but there have been several attempts at a, a lager, and it was, I, I guess, fair to say that once Coopers Clear hit the market in 2010, mm. from memory. That you finally found a, a market niche um, for one of your lager products, and yes. you've now added a, a range of international yes. uh, products. Yeah. How important is a healthy lager portfolio um, to the ongoing fortunes of Cooper,
3: Coopers? Uh, look, I think um, for engagement with the trade, um, I mean, having a, 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 a solid portfolio um, is really important. Um, so, uh, as a clear, is a good example in that uh, dry low carb market, which uh, we went into, and that's been successful and continues uh, to do well, um, meeting a, a clear niche. Um, and uh, you know, we still got our lager there and our light. Uh, and um, having uh, Carlsberg as an international um, lager um, clearly fills the spot there, um, as does Sapporo uh, with, our, with our Japanese beer, and Cronenberg, which is also um, a uh, Carlsberg uh, product with their Cronenberg uh, 1664 and, and, the, and the Blanc, which is a recently uh, introduced beer as well, uh, a wheat beer, which is a, a very fruity style. Um, and Mythos, they're having that sort of Hellenic Greek beer. So they're think, all having that portfolio. Them. So the ones we brew, we, we brew uh, uh, Carlsberg um, in, in the bottles and also uh, in the 500ml cans, and uh, Sapporo, and obviously in, in kegs. Uh, and at the moment, we, uh, we're bringing in. Uh, 1664 and Blanc and Mythos, um, and then distributing accordingly. So I think it's good to have that f- portfolio. Um, you know, our ale range is still the um, you know over 70% of, uh, of the volume in sales, and within that, um, Cooper's Original Pale Ale is still you know half of the total volume. So that, that's still critical to us. Um, but if we look at that one range of um, Cooper's Original Pale Ale, sparkling ale. Mild ale, dark ale, uh, and uh, stout. Um, that's a really solid um, sort of ale portfolio that we have in the, in the sort of that the round Rondeau um, label. And then we've got vintage Jail that we produce uh, each year, which is a lot of fun um, and very popular. And that's a limited uh, release. You know we sort of make it in first of, beginning of July. And, uh, uh, also released it at the beginning of July and have a, have a lot of fun with the marketing and the sampling and the tasting of that because we can now do those vertical tastings because you can keep it for a number of years and so uh, that, that's that's good fun and as I said earlier we've got Thomas Cooper's selection with um, Celebration Isle and Artisan Reserve so it's uh, they're they're they uh, you know it's a uh, a good range of products that gives us um, you know a lot to say to the trade And a lot to talk about with our consumer base, which is really probably the most important element of all.
0: I'm speaking with Cam Pearce, marketing director for Coopers, and we might take a quick break and thank one of the people that make this show possible. In a garden,
2: what a garden! Only happy faces. Blue.
0: Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specializes in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and keg beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers and with an open door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. <music> Cam, just before the break, you, you you mentioned when you went through the Lager portfolio that it gives you something to talk to trade about, and that's something that I think the the average beer drinker when they walk in to so say you know you've got Coopers sparkling ale, is classic Coopers pale ale, you've got Coopers stout, you've got this classic range of uh, beers, uh, isn't it incongruous that Coopers brings out a uh, low carb Lager, and isn't it incongruous that they bring out a uh, international premium, but one of the things that drives that for a business like Coopers is, as you said, very much the trade. When you go along to a hotelier to say take our ales or uh, take take this portfolio of beers, they would rather have a bit of a one stop shop from uh, a brewery, wouldn't they?
3: Well, look, I think uh, the the uh, I think we um, yeah, one stop shops. One thing I think from our point of view, um, we, we always um, you know. Uh, we, we going down a path of sort of exclusive supply is something that you know, we we seem to find out doesn't satisfy people in the trade if, if they take an exclusive uh, position. Um, so I think they'll all you know we want to offer consumers um, you know, what they want, um, but. Certainly from our point of view, it's good to have a portfolio that um, for those uh, you know, market segments and niches, uh, that we've got a product that can um, uh, fulfil it. So um, that, that's the benefit, I think, of having an integrated portfolio, um, and also something that internally is not in conflict, so if you like, um, our um, partner brands, um, you know, Carlsberg, Sephora, Mythos and Cronenberg, they don't compete with our ale range. They're, you know, I mean, you know, they're different production uh, processes, uh, and things like Cooper, Cooper's Clear and Cooper's Light also aren't competing with anything. So it's a, it's a good portfolio uh, to have, and of course it's, um, you know, spearheaded by you know, pale and sparkling, and, and mild. We're getting great growth out of mild, our mid-strength beer, uh, as well. Where that market segment is growing, and we're growing with it also.
0: Is that a challenge for coopers going forward i guess as you get bigger um and coopers would well and truly have picked up the low hanging fruit so it's much harder to, to get your growth these days but the, the the larger you grow a lot of people have traditionally seen coopers as being you know the the, the underdog or the smaller brewery
3: or the, the one that you love the australian aussie battler um, like, I hope that continues because even at five percent, we're we're not top dog, that's for sure. So uh, no, look, I think it, we uh, it, it, yes, we've been getting growth and we want to continue to pursue that. Um, uh, but it's in a very very you know competitive and aggressive marketplace. I mean we've got um, uh, yeah, Kieran Line and SAB Miller, Cub, um, you know being the two dominant players. Um, you know. Uh, retail concentration and uh, the craft segment growing underneath, and so the market is as competitive as ever and the category is in decline, especially off-premise, so uh, on-premise I should say. Um, so uh, there's, there's no shortage uh, of challenges. I think the, the things that define how I would say define uh, creepers in terms of um, that we people won't um, change their overarching view of us is because we are still independent. Uh, and family-owned, and it is well, those sort of values and, uh, um, and attributes of the company really are quite eternal and don't change. Um, so we're in, you know, uh, Tim's uh, and Melanie Cooper, the fifth generation Coopers. Uh, uh, Rachel uh, Glenn's daughters come in at sixth generation. So the, the, there's a continuity, I think, uh, going through that, and that uh, is something that does resonate. Uh, because we're more than a brand, we're a family. And I think uh, um, that resonates at a consumer level. So I think so long as that uh, reality uh, is in place and that connection's in place, um, you know, we'll be well-placed. From an outsider, I, I guess I'll uh, make a
0: statement and uh, get you to comment on it, but I do watch from the other two big brewers the churn of staff and the number of people that may be coming from Procter & Gamble Marketing and spending some time at... Uh, The brewery, and then move on, and you get a sense that they don't live the product, um, whilst they 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 talk about it. And uh, the constant turnover affects corporate memory. In the CUB recently, uh, something that I was very closely uh, chasing was the Crown Lager story, where they told a story about Crown Lager that ended up being marketers self-referencing their own marketing without any start point to the to to primary research. I don't see that sort of thing uh, happening in Coopers because there is that constant. Family connection uh, and what what is often called corporate memory these days. I mean, yeah. How important is corporate memory to the um, consistency within the the, the the business development?
3: I think corporate memory is important. Um, it is important, and I think I think you're right. A, a lot of uh, multinationals it can tend, tends to get lost because of, of changes and the like. Um, and clearly, in our case, you know, I mean, uh, Tim sort of goes back 20 plus years, 20, uh, and then bill his father so you have these connections so as decisions get made uh, I think the dynamics at the time or what was driving them um, remain in place so uh, and known about so I think that does that, that does provide uh, continuity and stability um, and also a certain perhaps you know caution about um, you know uh, flip-flopping with fads and things like that uh, not to not, um, not, not saying that uh, you don't change or respond by any means, but uh, I think it does give you a, a strong keel um, to um, sort of sail your yacht by, so to speak. I don't think I've ever spoken to uh, Dr.
0: Tim Cooper um, w- without him using the expression at least once. to stick to your knitting, yeah. <laughs> which sounds like what you're saying there, but as well, obviously responding Correct. to, to yeah. various trends. Yeah.
3: Yes, I mean, you don't want to be stuck in the mud, but uh, uh, equally you don't want to be swayed by just, you know, Temporal things.
0: And I guess uh, this is possibly more of a question for a brewer um, such as uh, Tim Cooper, but uh, long before I became interested in beer myself as opposed to just rather than just drinking it. Um, you, you would hear older uh, guys complain about Cooper's is changing, whereas it used to have a thick sediment at the bottom. It was thinner. It wasn't the same. And hearing it uh, change. When you speak to uh, Tim, for example, and he says that one of the most important changes in the quality of the beer has been the move from puncheons, uh, the old wooden puncheons yeah. that used to overflow. And um, I guess when you've got a brewery that is very traditionally based. It can be hard to sort of uh, walk that line between ensuring product quality and consistency, and all the things that, on one hand, the market wants, and not being seen to either dumb it down or
3: lose yeah. that, that
0: in- product integrity.
3: Yes, and I think. Look, I think Tim and the brewers, the brewing team, have done an outstanding job. Um, you know, on, ongoing, but certainly uh, maintaining our maintaining the traditional sort of uh, production method of ales, you know, the secondary uh, fermentation, the bottle conditioning. Um, and the like which uh, you know give it that you know, cloudy appearance with the uh, spent yeast and the like um, so we'd been able to remain very true to the brewing tradition that Thomas Cooper originally set up um, but we've also now been able to make that very consistent um, so that uh, because obviously with the you know, natural conditioning and the like uh, historically you may get more variation so I think um, you know it's probably one of the great Triumphs of our uh, brewers and production that we've been able to uh, maintain, if you like the the traditional uh, way that our ales have been made, uh, but translate that into a modern brewery.
0: As as the brewery grows, how hard is it to continue that growth? Um, Once upon a time, uh, I guess, it's been a long time since Coopers has had to hand sell and you know bring in drinkers drinkers one by one, the way that the you know very small brewers that are making 1,200 litre batches do these days. Um, going to beer festivals can uh, get their product yeah. out there. Um, Coopers y- y- has been experimenting with a whole wide range of new platforms to engage its much larger market and in, in, in some ways they can be a little bit impersonal, whether mm. it's the, the, the web um, uh, channels. Uh, how hard is it to keep that? Family feel, whilst engaging in—you've uh, recently launched a new website. You've got the—you uh, had um, a Spotify uh, partnership uh, recently, so you're embracing the new uh, communication tools, but still trying to keep that family uh, streak. How hard is that as a marketing director?
3: Oh, I think the—I mean—it's all about connecting with consumers. Uh, and making and making I think mean, so I would say for, for our website's a good example where we really it's a community of people that we're engaged with um, uh, so it's not uh, it's not sort of a, a hard sell it's about bringing uh, people that want to be part of the keepers community in, 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 into the into the discussion um, uh, both for the uh, for the beer products and also I should say um, for the do-it-yourself brewers the DIY um, home brew element is also another uh, key part of the, uh, the website so I think um, you know that that sense of uh, consumers engaging um, with the brand and the family and what have you keeping that is important I mean obviously there are, there are other very basic things around you know distribution and ranging that uh, enable it to enable consumers to be able to actually access the beer uh, and that's a, 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 you know a, a very very important um, aspect of the whole uh, sales and marketing effort as well those uh, nuts and bolts things. Uh, and um, and from a sales force point of view, having people that are uh, passionate and uh, um, you know advocates of the uh, keepers and what we do is also equally important. So a, a strong um, sales and marketing force is key in that area as well. Uh, I think the you know the, the um, digital uh, platforms will continue to grow, um, but again, it's about making sure that there's a, a realness about that as well, so that uh, you know, people involved in that. Are, are getting a real response rather than a um, you know a, a pre a pre thought through thing that just comes out um, as a spiel.
0: I'm speaking with Cam Pearce, marketing director, national marketing director for Coopers. Cam, one of the the, the keys for business is understanding who consumes your product. Um, who drinks Coopers?
3: Well, it's a it's a good question. We've have done a reasonable amount of research, and and certainly uh, you know Coopers has a very eclectic. Group of people, so um, you know it, we can have um, sort of uh, um, soups and greenies and um, uh, you know punters, all, uh, quite a range. But by and large, it's a, it's sort of a, an informed, um, sort of engaged group of people. Um, but it's not it, it, you. It's not sort of you could uh, split it down to a specific um, that must be um, demographic. So and, and indeed, we we tend to advertise the beer. Um, because we know so many different people gravitate towards it as distinct from other marketing approaches, which might be to identify your target demographic and then put a person that looks like that target drinking the bottle. Of um, course, it, it must be a nightmare for a marketing director. to Well, be able to it, do it, that. it is, and it is, isn't. I think if because if you understand that it is an eclectic group um, that to operate across a range of areas. Um, I mean, they will be in that more premium segment, obviously. Um, so I think uh, sort of understanding that means that you don't you endeavour to try and disenfranchise any of your drinkers. I mean, it's a broad uh, it's a broad community that enjoy our product, and um, and we love that, and we want um, to for everybody to feel connected to us. One of the things that's
0: often uh, labelled about the new wave of craft beer drinkers, maybe the, the smaller drinkers. Um, is the, the hipster yeah. um, you know, guys who see it as being hip and fashionable um that's benefited coopers in the past i recall uh, that you know, in, in the 80s it was the young university students yeah. who were looking at something that their fathers weren't drinking because yes. in the 70s we'd seen the swing to lagers away yes. from ales, and then the next generation grew up wanting something different and uh, I- embraced coopers um is that something that craft breweries that the small craft breweries uh, should be uh, aware of when they see rapid growth now that, you know, being, we- being uh, wary of embracing the fad too much?
3: Oh, no, I think, you know, I think uh, people, I mean, there be there's obviously some part of the craft segment which may be fatty, and there's other parts that will be sustainable, and there will be, um, you know, um, some consumers um, that, you know, and probably in that younger category, that will want to be seen to be drinking um, something different, uh, as they would wear something different, um, but, but uh, within their group sort of share that same difference.
0: I would like to add there, but yet they all look, end up looking the same. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: as you say, that one of my lads here is 21st just uh, the other day, and, and they, they all look a bit the same. In, in, a, in, a very, in, a very, in a very sad and modern way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we've talked a little bit about
0: who does drink Coopers um, who would you like to see drinking who would you like to see drinking Coopers who would you like to be encouraging to drink Coopers if you had one
3: target group you'd like to reach that's a good question um, I, I guess you know what. what uh, I mean, look the the ales part of our business obviously they're, they're full flavoured and the like I think you know as a, as a company as a family as a brand we're very much an open door so that when people feel that they're ready to come and have a beer with us then we would love them to do there so it's very much a, a welcoming kind of um sort of approach that i would take um and i, I think as as people's uh, tastes develop um, you know the our ales in particular are, are there for people to engage with um, and uh, you know, I guess um, there's, you know, there's a, a it also engaging a bit of a female drinkership as well uh, as as they um, you know seek some of the, the product range. But uh, I think it, it's um, the, the, our our portfolios out there, our, our range is out there, um, and um, a lot of it's about. You know, making sure you've got the distribution and um, ranging so that people can trial it um, and um, enjoy it. So I think it's about making sure that as a brand, you've got a very kind of welcoming and open door, so that when people want to try something that we're we're making, they can.
0: We've heard a little bit uh, of late about the Brewers Association and the campaign they're planning to uh, change the perception of beer, Um, and that's something that I've been a little bit outspoken on. particularly when it was Lion that announced the, the, the change, um, and I can sort of looked at the issues that the Brewers Association had identified as being the brand negatives, and compared that against some of, for example, Lion's advertising, which mm. uh, highlighted all those, and you, you mentioned that it's a, one way of advertising is to choose the person that drinks it and have the person drinking it in advertising reflect that. How hard do you think it will be to change the brand perception of beer?
3: Well, I think um, I mean, firstly, t- in terms of the brewers' association, it's better. But Danita Warns, the CEO there, so she's a better place to talk to brewers. But I think, in terms of uh, the industry, uh, the players in the industry, uh, you know, we've all got a responsibility to, um, get, you know, um, talk about what's good about beer. And as I said, it's natural ingredients. It's um, you know, one of the lower alcohol offerings. Um, you know, it's part of uh, you know, uh, it can be part of a healthy and happy, social sort of existence. So, I think um, you know, it's important that we uh, keep on advocating for the good things about beer, which there are very, very many, uh, and um, you know that beer doesn't get to sort of used for uh, you know where there is misuse. That it's not necessarily a bottle a, um, a of beer that seems to be the uh, picture that's used to identify that. Um, and and you know where there is some issues, then we target that and address that issue uh, properly. But celebrate the good things about beer um, that uh, make it a uh, you know part of an enjoyable and sociable existence.
0: Okay, well, Cooper's has seen ten uh, percent compound growth for an extended period of time. What's next? How how are we going to keep the uh, growth going?
3: Well, I think um, it, it, uh, it's 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 um, there's still um, good organic growth um, to be had uh, in the eastern states and, and some regional areas as well. Um, I, you know, I think uh, over to- I mean, in terms of our uh, portfolio, but my primary concern at the moment is to make sure the total portfolio works. So, we've introduced um, uh, you know those partner brands, um, uh, artisan reserve. Uh, um, came out with, uh, to support uh, Celebration Ale, so we want to make that work with Thomas Cooper's selection in the, the premium segment. Uh, our Dark Ale um, has got a real niche um, and a, a good following um, and uh, we uh, there's opportunity for that to continue to grow. I mentioned earlier our, our full flavored mid-strength um, uh, mild ale um, is growing with the segment um, and that uh, um, has got more uh, legs to run with it and we're doing work there. Uh, I mean sparkling ale uh, again um, with the renaissance of craft actually almost gets um, yeah. you know, a free ride because uh, it, it, it is such a, uh, um, a beer with such a reputation and tradition behind it and of course people's original pale we continue to uh, develop so and that's supported as I said earlier by the lager range so a lot of it's about making you know, making what we've got work well um, and um, and not necessarily um, getting too hung up on you know another thing to throw into the mix. Uh, if anything, I, I guess there'll be more um, uh, you know, activity going forward, and you're sort of seeing already across it, uh, in the market generally, uh, you know, around different pack offerings uh, and maybe in container sizes. But uh, uh, you know, see, seeing um, offerings beyond just the um, the carton. Um, of, uh, of four six packs so there'll be some uh, development in that area I'm sure as, as we start to see and you know uh, to try and get price points in the market and things like that but in terms of our um, you know product range it's it's really about to trying to make that work well for us because for, we've got a big portfolio for a company that only has five percent of the market and as you said earlier uh, you know uh, coronas as big as we are and they've got one product and one marketing budget for one product and we're trying to spread ourselves across quite a a, a range. Although um, it's fair to say too that we're we're a branded house, not a house of brands. Mm-hmm.
0: We, we, we've touched on a couple of times how markets change and and evolve. And one of the uh, it was interesting that this year in the Australian International Beer Awards, that no gold medal was awarded for the Australian ale, of which Coopers is probably the gold standard or the um, archetype uh, of it. And uh, one of the um, interpretations that was put on it by uh, the, the head judge was the number of Australian ales are starting to develop a much more aromatic hop character, um, such as the the um, Stonewood Pacific Ale or some of the beers, uh, you know, the, the Kosciuszko Ale, for example, where the aromatic properties of, of the hops are really coming through. Is that something that Cooper's needs to be aware of, how uh, the, the, the classic Australian ale is going through
3: an evolution driven by some of the broader Trends? Uh, Look, I I, I mean, yes, we have to be mindful of all those things. I mean, again, I I was, uh, when I was at Biavana in New Zealand um, last year, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of hoppy um, uh, um, ales and beers uh, in New Zealand. Uh, So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an area that's there. I think also too, um, I mean, the over, the heavily hopped um, IPAs and the like. I mean, they're not really a sessionable uh, beer, so there's they're, something there for to sort of um, sample and taste, perhaps. But I, I think, but going even beers such a, as Kosciuszko or uh,
0: Stone and Wood, which would probably be a little bit less beer-driven yeah, than yeah. the, the classic Coopers Pale, yes. uh, but just something with it, that, that dancing mm. hop um, aroma on the top with that
3: increasing the level of bitterness necessarily. Is that, is that something that Cooper's is, look, really is mindful of? I, 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 I think you're one's mindful of one's competitors <laughs> all the time. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, we're, we're, you certainly don't operate in a vacuum. So, look, I, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, there's been a plethora of new products come on the market, and I suppose you see which ones really start to take um, and uh, but and um, you know if it's a, a kind of an ongoing uh, trend or whether it's um, you know more more temporal um, and uh, yeah keep an eye on it but I guess you know we're still um, notwithstanding all that you know our original parallel and sparkling Ale, I mean they're they're sort of still in growth so it's also that matter of um, you know uh, you put another product on to meet that little niche as well so. I think um, yeah, keep a good eye on those things and and see you know, whether it's a transient or permanent.
0: And you did mention uh, looking at pack formats. One of the things I've been watching uh, with uh, great interest is the uh, uh, awareness of Doctor Tim's uh, pale ale in cans mm. um, has really uh, become a big thing. But Pale Island cans is nothing new to Coopers. You've been uh, canning for the best part of a decade, I believe, yeah. or even longer than Not a decade. Bad, yeah. Um, yeah. Suddenly, craft beer has started to can, and it's become a bit of a thing. Will we see a wider distribution for Doctor Tim's?
3: Yeah, look, Doctor Tim's is already available outside SA, uh, but it's tended to focus a bit more on the sort of what we were talking about earlier—those sort of crafty places that are looking for something a bit different. <laughs> uh, and I think part part of that, you know, craft. Um, uh, the evolution that's been going on uh, has had a cam focus because, um, you know, certainly from an import point of view, you, you don't have light strike and those sort of things are happening and the uh, like. So, uh, so yeah, so Dr. Chims is now available and um, you know going well and it's a you know another good good one to have in the portfolio and works well and, and has its sort of place. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I guess it's a perfect format for uh, camping, yeah, yeah, it's, it's I was out, um,
3: outdoor boats and the like and. Um, Uh, Same with mild ale. I mean, mild ale does well for that reason too. You know, three point five percent in a can, and um, you know, out on the boat or camping or what have you, works well.
0: Was Coopers a little bit slow to to jump on the trend? Do you think? Would you like to have seen it, or should they have been ahead of the market with with cans, cans, beer in cans?
3: Look, we've yeah, we've had cans for. I mean, look, we've had cans for a a while. I think. the, the history of the company is always around, you know, bottles and bottle fermentation and, and the like. So even going into kegs was was you know somewhat recent. Um, Actually, maybe yeah. that, that, that's a very interesting uh, sort of
0: sideline. A lot of people may not realise uh, that Coopers was one. It was only the. 70s that's or 80s right. yeah. that, it were, that it was finally available on tap before yeah. then uh, ever yeah. since the days of uh, thomas cooper um it was only ever a bottled beer
3: that's right and, and indeed in the early, very early days it wasn't distributed through hotels it was just you know done on the back of a wagon so it was only in the, uh, the early 1900s that it went into the hotels as well so uh, uh, so it's, and, and also with the uh, yeah the the, uh, the can format with rails is a uh, a different um, you know production or manufacturing uh, requirement which is best left to Tim and Nick to uh, talk to you about when you have a, have a shot with him on the radio. I don't, I don't want to trip up on too much on manufacturing um, errors. I know that there's <laughs> a lot of trick involved in you know, getting the beer in cans. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, it's best, best that um, uh, Tim is chief brewer and uh, Nick is operations, John Kness is in brewing, That they, they address those ones. But uh, I think, um, you know, I mean, the reality is we're in a position where we can produce beer in cans. As I said, we've done Carlsberg in the 500 format. Uh, we do lager and light, um, uh, clear in the 355 uh, um, mill can format, um, and mild, as I said, as well. So we've we've got that can offering out there for um, um, you know for for the range. So um, it, it's there and it has its place. Campus, every journalist loves
0: an exclusive. Is there anything that you can uh, reveal to us exclusively today that Coopers has got in the in the wings?
3: Um, uh, no, I think I've told you all I know. Uh, <laughs> no, you're exclusive. It was the first time I've been with you. <laughs>
0: Cam Pierce, thank you very much for your time and thank you for joining us on Radio Brews News. Thanks very much, Matt. There we go, Prof. Hopefully uh, we've given Lockie a nice, tight show to pull together.
1: Yeah, and I think, the two. Based on, on what Cam has just said, that we do also have a lot of listeners, I guess, who whether they realise it or not, are influenced by marketing. They're, they're influenced by advertising and brand loyalty. And um, there's always an interesting debate about where Coopers sits uh, in the whole, you know, uh, craft beer landscape. Is it is it craft? Is it too big to be craft? Is it do they brew too many you know mainstream style beers to be craft? And uh, you know, are oh, they've been around so long they can't be craft. Um, I think. What Cam's given us uh, for our listeners will help to just kind of, I guess,
0: put a few pieces of the puzzle into place. Yeah, exactly. So you know, don't forget, listeners, if you if, if there is anyone that you want to speak to um, or, or you want to hear us speak to, please uh, shoot in an email. Um, you can get Pete and I on Twitter. Um, I'm Good Beer Matt. Pete is Beer Blokes. You can find us on Facebook. You can leave comments in the comments section uh, of, of each episode. Uh, or flick us an in, email. The other thing, prof, if they Google Stop us, us they'll, on the our, they'll probably find our mobile numbers as well. Buy um, us a
1: beer in a pub and say, hey, I've always <laughs> wanted to listen to insert your favourite beer person
0: here. Exactly. So uh, please let us know and we'll uh, get Lockie on the job. So anyway, <laughs> without any further ado, let's strike up the
1: band. It's a, a new, a new, slightly funkier, it's a different kind of uh, Beer Barrel Polka outro.
0: Well, that's one of the things. Lockie's Lockie's not just the editor; he's also our uh, booking agent. So he's going to get a couple of different bands in from time to time. So right. okay, see how we go. Okay, Prof, always good chat to you. Uh, talk to you again very soon. Take care. See you guys.
2: Roll. Now's the time to roll the barrel, all the games all
1: here. And we're out.